see. Uh, yeah, uh, Luke chapter 19 is where we're at. For the last few weeks, we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke. We've seen Jesus and his disciples uh, have many different encounters with many different people, and many important things took place as they made their way to Jerusalem. And we've been we've been in, in, uh, chronicling these things that we've been reading through the last few chapters of Luke. And and when we studied through the beginning of this chapter, we read about Jesus's encounter if you remember before I left, with a chief tax collector, not just an ordinary tax collector, but like the head of the department of the IRS, right? The chief tax collector. And his name was Zacchaeus, and um, it was when Jesus was told us that he was coming into the city of Jericho. He was actually passing through, it says, the city of Jericho, and this is the gateway city to a road that leads out of the Jordan River Valley and up into Jerusalem. And if you come to Israel with us, that's one of the areas that you'll get to see and, and get a real graphic visual picture of, of what that looks like. And, and um, in the remaining verses of this chapter, now in chapter 19, we see that Jesus and his disciples, the, they come to the end of the journey, if you, if you will. They reach Jerusalem, actually just just right outside of Jerusalem before some important, more important events take place. And then we know that in this chapter, Jesus will um, enter in Jerusalem and as an event that we refer to now as the triumphal entry, right? And, and soon the mission that Jesus had obediently and been sent into the world to do, obediently and humbly sent into the world to do, this mission that he had been sent for would come to an end. But before Jesus would walk down the road, which is now called Via Della Rosa, or the Sorrowful Road, which is in the old city of Jerusalem, which you also will get to see if you come with us to Israel, as he traveled down that road with um, the cross uh, tied to his back, the one on which he would be crucified, Jesus, in fulfillment of prophecy, that's key, keep this in mind, Jesus, in fulfillment of prophecy, would present himself to the nation of Israel as their king as their savior and and once again as the only begotten son of God in order to perfectly fulfill prophecy and to give the sons of Abraham the Hebrew people every opportunity to accept them and i believe that the events recorded at the end of this chapter which have been come known um, in the modern day church as 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 palm sunday um, we celebrate that every year on the Sunday before Easter, that these events we read about, in, in my opinion, are some of the most significant that are recorded in the Bible. And we refer to the events recorded in this chapter in Palms, uh, as Palm Sunday because of the, we know that the palm branches that are spoken of specifically in John's gospel account, um, that the multitude of people actually laid down on the road to honor Jesus before him as he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and we know in doing so, this is this is what's so profound about the events that we read here is that in doing so, as 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 the as the crowds of people laid down the the, the palms in front of Jesus, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the on the back of this donkey, in doing so, he 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 had done something that he had previously avoided multiple times over and over again. He had avoided this very thing in his ministry. Um, uh, and, and, and at this point, he allowed for himself to be declared, openly declared, king. King. And we know that many times when Jesus had performed miracles, that they says that the people sought to lay hold of him, to take hold of him and make them 
make him their king. And, and every time he denied them and he resisted. But yet now, on this day, on this time, at this event, Jesus did something that, that he had done. It was different than any other day. And the reason why is because this day that we read about was an appointed day. I want you to understand this message that's really communicated through this chapter in regards to prophecy and appointed days. Because, because it's a day that had been foretold of by the prophets, but it reminds us of some very important characteristics of our God and the nature of our God, that he's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He has a plan, a perfect plan. He's ordained our days. He's known us while we were still being knit together in our womb. And each and every day that we have and the things that we encounter, they're, from God's point of view, they're ordained. And he knows he knows what we're going through. He knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the, the trials that we face. And, and, and in them, he has good for us. He does good works. He has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose. And, and we see that exampled for us in, in the plan and the purpose and the fulfillment of prophecy that he had for his son, Jesus. So if you will join with me, we're going to pick back up in verse 29. I will read and um, you can follow along. Actually, let's, uh, let's grab verse 28 and then go on down to verse 44. So I said in verse 28, it says, When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, or Bethany at the Mount of Olivet, Mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you will enter and will find a colt tied which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it, loosening it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were looking, or they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to him, why are you loosing the colt? Could you imagine being in that situation? You know, these guys are like, this is a donkey, but this is like horse theft right here, right? In Old West, horse thieving in the United States, you can get shot. So uh, imagine it's very similar. It's like, oh, there it is. Let's just go and take it. And the guy's all, what are you doing? Uh, I mean, they're taking some faith in what these guys are doing. But, and just to simply say, well, Jesus has need of it. The Lord has need of it. And be like, oh, he does, does he? Yeah. We don't see that. It's all these things that have been ordained and planned and, and these very simple statements that were acted upon in obedience reveals to us that these things had been preordained and, and God had orchestrated them. And, and I love that for us too because God doesn't always give us the whole picture, does he? As a matter of fact, God kind of just is like, you've heard me say this before, he kind of gives us the turn by turn. You know, you're following the map direction in which is not always the best thing to do, that, that little voice on your phone that says, in 200 feet, take a left. You know, it's like, if you, and sometimes it's, it'll lead you the wrong way. And, and as I'm driving, I have to confess, often as I'm driving, I will start messing with the phone, which is unsafe, don't do. My wife tells me not to do it, but I sometimes do it anyway. And I, I minimize everything so I can see the bigger picture. I want to know, okay, this is left here, but then I got to take three rights and go around this bend and and, and, and with the Lord, I'm like, I, I, I want that too. And he's all, for today, just say, the Lord has need of it. That's enough. You'll, 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 you don't need to know any more than this. And, and it's, this, it's this trusting in the Lord, but it also it's 
is keeping us in this place of dependency, right? When we know that God's got things appointed for us that we don't know are yet to come, but we can still trust in him, then there's this dependency that must take place in our lives. Because we can't, we can't follow the Lord, act upon what he calls us to do, um, and, and go where he calls us to go without dependency. If I had the beginning from the end, then it would be a reliance upon myself. If I knew, if I had, if I, even when we were talking about the Lord being the provider, if I had the, for me, if for, for me, and for you it's a little different because God speaks to us and work with us individually, but if I had a million dollars in the bank, I would pray a whole lot less. You know, I, I would rely more on myself in regards to how things were going to get done rather than going, Lord, what do you want? How do you want to provide for this? And because I don't have it immediately in my hands, it causes me to go before the Lord. And, and it's not that the Lord wants to be like this control freak over us as, as, as I might act that way in my human nature to those around me and going, no, you only get a little bit because I want you to rely on me. It can be a control thing. For the Lord, it's a relationship thing, Right? It's relationship, and he wants to be in fellowship with us. He wants to be in relationship with us, and that's illustrated over and over and over again. Anyway, these guys go forward, and they, they get called out, and they say, they say in verse 34, the Lord has need of him. And so um, we're not told what happened after that, but it was probably just no big deal. Obviously, there wasn't a fight or no police were called. <laughs> it says, then they brought him to Jesus, the, the, the colt, the foal of the donkey, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And he went, as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as they were drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, and um, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to, called to him from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? Uh, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, now, as he drew near, verse 41, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you, if you had known... Even you, especially in this, you're out your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And Lord, I pray, God, that even in our own lives today, as we know that you've appointed days for us, you've appointed good works for us, you provide for us in every way, Lord, that we can trust in you, that we, and when we don't, Lord, we're going to miss out on, on the best that you have for us. And Lord, we don't want to miss out on that relationship with you and knowing you more. And even like Vicki and, and Debbie were talking about and just being faithful, Lord, to answer the call to go to Africa and, and having you meet us there and seeing your hand and the things that you've done and, and, you, and being a part of it, Lord. Those are awesome things. And as Vicki said, to step out of our comfort zone and to trust in you. And I pray, God, that we would do that as we once again are reminded of your sovereignty, of your lordship, 
um, and of this call to trust in you, um, knowing, Lord, that, you've, that you're the great um, conductor and you've orchestrated things in our lives perfectly. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So look back in verse 29. In verse 29, we read that Bethphage and Bethany were the last two cities that Jesus passed through before entering into Jerusalem. And both of these cities are located on the, they were located on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And Mount of Olives is east uh, or is um, west of, 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 of the old city of Jerusalem. And the, the valley of Jezreel is in between. And so you have the old city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the Golden Gate is on that side there as well. It's the western gate. Or, yes, it's the western gate. Trying to keep it all straight in my head. No, it's the east gate. And so on the east side of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives, and then on the east slope of the Mount of Olives was Bethpage and um, Bethany. And so that was the road leading down from uh, Jerusalem into uh, the Jordan River Valley where Jericho was at. And, and this, is, is, this is the path that Jesus took to get here. And Bethany, if, if when we read the Gospel of John, it becomes a little more clear, but Bethany is where Jesus' friend Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, lived. They lived in Bethany on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And when you go to the Israel today, there is still a city there where Bethany once stood, but today it's called El Azariah. And it's an Arabic word for Lazarus. And, and still to this day, the name of the city serves as a memorial to the events that we read about in John chapter 12, where at this time, Luke doesn't record it, but at this time, we're told that when Jesus went to Bethany and when he had left Jericho, it was at the request of Mary and Martha, who had sent a message to him while he was still in Jericho, probably with Zacchaeus, right? Letting him, calling him to come to them because their brother Lazarus was sick, sick unto death is what it said. And they were calling Jesus to come to his aid. Yet we know from John's gospel account that Jesus remained in Jericho for two more days before he would make the journey to Bethany. And, and when he finally reached Bethany, we know that Lazarus had already passed away. In fact, it says that he had been in the grave for four days. And yet Jesus was still able to raise him back to life. And the resurrection of Lazarus was one of the last of the miracles that Jesus would perform before his own death and resurrection. Now, Luke also tells us here in verses 29 and 30 that when Jesus came near Bethany, he sent two of his disciples, we talked about these guys already, two of his disciples to a nearby village to get the colt, a foal of a donkey. And even though he did not tell them why, he, he, he didn't give them very, he gave them specific instructions, but he left a lot of details out. He didn't tell them why he wanted the donkey. Um, we know that he was in need of it because we know that he had this plan to ride in on the donkey into Jerusalem for this triumphal entry. And if you, if you think about this, and, 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 and if you've ever read and studied through this before, this is not new to you, but it's good information as a reminder anyway to keep this in mind. It doesn't make very much sense for Jesus to choose a donkey from our understanding of things to make a triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, considering a donkey really doesn't have the reputation of being this mighty or noble creature, right? Uh, a donkey, but, but a donkey is what the Hebrew people's leaders would ride on, um, specifically during all civic ceremonies. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, those who made up the, the, the court of the Sanhedrin 
when they would when they would enter into certain important civic events it was always on the back of a donkey and likewise in regards to the 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 the, the hebrew people and their king we know that um, the kings on the day of their coronation uh, that when they were presented to the people and to the high priest who would anoint them as king, that they would also be led in on the back of a donkey, riding on a donkey. And a good example of this of a Hebrew king riding on a donkey on his coronation day is found in First Kings chapter one, where we're told that that at the time when King David had transferred his throne over to his son Solomon, that he took Solomon, sat him on his own donkey, and he led him to the spring called Gihon, which is also on the east side of Jerusalem, where he was anointed by King Zadok, or anointed as the king by Zadok the priest, and also by Nathan the prophet who was there at that time. And you can go read that account. And this act of riding in on a lowly donkey rather than on a horse or in a chariot like other nations around them did, which was common, you know, you, you would typically picture a king, right, uh, making a triumphal entry on a horse or in their, in their, in their chariot, um, uh, and that was common for the Gentile nations, but the, the Hebrew people did not, and it was a reminder for them as the people, for their kings as well, that, that um, the strength the authority and the power of their leaders solely came from God. And, and this is what King David was writing about in Psalm 20, verse 7, when he said this, when he said, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And, and I think in this, at this, at this point, we should, we should look at the application and be challenged and go, really, guys, what do we put our trust in? Who are we putting our trust in? And, and, and we kind of talked about it a little bit and just sharing with you with, for myself. You know, if I had millions of dollars in the bank, I would trust in my money. I would. You know, but even in that, I don't have, have millions of dollars to still be tempted to do that, to trust in my own abilities to do things, my own resources, perhaps even people around me. And, and what you guys know is, is, as well as I do, is people around you, they'll fail you. They'll let you down. Even those who have a, a characteristic and a nature of being faithful, they still are human. They sin. They let you down. They will fail you. You know, in 2007, the economy here took a crash. We had a huge recession. And, and if you had your money in a 401k, it was like half it was gone instantly. You know, and so many of the things that we, as, as a nation, as, as, as Americans have put our trust and our hope in for the future, was devastated and wrecked. People lost their jobs. They lost their houses. And you know what? That thing is a cyclic thing that takes place in our country every so often. And I don't know if you guys have been watching the indicators, but that's about to happen again, by the way. The way that the banks are lending money now and the way that people are borrowing money and we have the sense of prosperity, what we're in, and I thank God for that. But, but, but we as human beings, we don't learn our lessons. And we spend more than we make, and it's, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster. We spend more than we make, and we borrow what we don't have. And, 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 and if, you're putting, if we're putting our hosts and our, and our hopes and our trust and our faith in something other than the Lord, then we're going to be let down. It's even like what Vicki and Debbie were sharing about for these women who are in Africa. They have nothing they, they, the houses they live in are, are mud huts and thatch roofs, and when it rains, they get flooded. Um, and these women cook on charcoal over little pots. 
and, and, and their floors in their houses are dirt, and they struggle to even find food for the day and, and um, to send their kids to school. And th- they have all these struggles with health. They, you get sick there with pneumonia, you're going to die. That's how it is. But you know what? Like what Vicki and Debbie and my wife and my kids have been there and others have been there with me, what you know when you go to places like that, and even Peru when they've gone there, is that Jesus is still the answer. God is who we still put our hope and our faith and our trust in. And in spite of our circumstances, the peace and joy that God desires for us to possess is still possible no matter what we're going through, if we're putting our trust in him. And, 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 and this was the illustration that, that Jesus was giving to the people when he also rode in on a donkey, that, that, that trust in the Lord, trust in God. It was a humble thing. It was a humility thing. Because he wasn't, as he was coming in to allow them to proclaim them to be king, is what we know is it wasn't what they were thinking in the way that they were thinking. And Jesus wept over the city, we're told in these other verses, because they were blinded to it. It was, had been hidden from their eyes. And so on this appointed day, guys, on this appointed day, when Jesus rode a donkey from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, he was intentionally following this Jewish tradition, and, and, and he was deliberately presenting himself to be the king of the nation of Israel. And, and, and as we make our way through these verses, it's important for us to notice that when Jesus sent his two disciples to perform this task of retrieving this donkey, he told them some very specific things in verse 30. Look there with me, if you will. Such as where to go to get to the colt, right? To the village that was opposite of them. He told them some very specific things. He told them that what kind of donkey it was. One that had never been sat on, okay? He told them how they would find it. When they entered the village, it would be tied up. Okay? He told them also what to do with it, telling them to loose it and to bring it here. And in doing so, Jesus even told them in verse 31 what to say. The Lord has need of it. If anyone was to ask what they were doing. And I point this out because these words of Jesus should also be an indicator that these events that we're reading about were planned events. We're planned events. And in, in, in our trip, when we stepped out in faith, we seen God-ordained things that were planned before that we could not orchestrate on our own that God walked ahead of us for. In Africa, we were short, one of the things, we were short some of the really cute purple binders that these ladies made. I use that word cute because it was a women's conference thing, so that's the appropriate language for something like that. But in those little notebooks, and Vicki and Debbie and the women's ministry here, and you ladies did such a wonderful job of blessing those ladies with the, the, the socks and the spoons and, the, and, the, and the, the bags that you guys got, all these things. I mean, it was such a blessing, and the pot holders and the little scrubby things, and all these things that made these women feel special and loved. But, but there were more women showed up than what we planned for. And, 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 and you just can't go to Oriental Trading Post in Africa, okay? And, and God had, but God provided. When we, when we walked in not knowing, and God had already had a plan, he had all these planned, ordained things for us to walk in. And one of them was, even though in Africa, one of the big sayings is, is no hurry in Africa. And there's no hurry in Africa, I'm telling you, but... We were able to get these binders made, these folders made that were ex- like, I mean, 99.9% exactly the same as what we had brought to get additional 25 for what we needed for the conference. And um, it, it, it took some um, 
waiting on <laughs> and, and getting it done, but, it, and it was pennies. It was so cheap to get, too. We should have just got them all there if we would have known, but... <laughs> But, but, but God, God, had, God had everything taken care of. He, he knew our needs even before we knew them. That's the point, guys. He knew our needs even before we knew them. And, and these words of Jesus, like I said, they, they, the, that he speaks to his disciples, they're an indicator that these events that we read about are planned events, that they are ordained things by God. And the same is true in our lives, guys. God doesn't go, oops, I didn't know that was going to happen to you. Oh, I didn't know that you were going to encounter that today. Oh, I didn't know that you, you were going to need that today. He knew. Jesus knew, and it's an example. And the truth is, everything that took place on this day we're reading about, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, it had been ordained by God, and it had been prophesied about hundred years, hundreds of years prior or before all these things that were happening in accordance to God's divine plan. Do you know that God's got a divine plan for your life, for my life, for our church? for our community. And the point is, is that Jesus was needed this donkey, as we look at it in regards to what was going on here, Jesus needed this donkey so that he might fulfill God's plan and a messianic prophecy found in Zechariah 9, verse 9, which was about 600 years prior to this event, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Why? Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And when you think about all these expressions of joy and this, and this, this grandeur and the statements that were made, you know, he's coming to you, behold, your king, just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. I mean, again, it doesn't make any sense. You would think on this big, white, mighty steed, you know, doing that fancy prance or whatever those horses do. You know, Rich and Cindy know all about that. They like horses too. But um, not a donkey, and especially a, 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 a foal, a young donkey that had never been ridden before. Yet God had ordained it this way because it was an indicator for the people of Israel. They should have known. The prophets had spoke about it. it gave, they gave some very key things so that they would know when the Messiah would come when God's hand would be intervening in their life. And guys, when we're trusting in the Lord, when we're depending upon him, when we understand that he's appointed and has a divine plan for us, we will see things in a new light. We will see things from God's perspective and we'll go, that was God. That was God. And then we get to see God's hand working everywhere in our lives and we get to give him glory and praise and the credit for that. And then our faith is built and then we trust in him more as we go forward. You know, one of the things that, you know, you've heard it said, you know, why don't miracles take place in America like it does in all other places or like we read about in, the, in, other, in other countries or in times past? And, and I think it's because of this issue of dependency. We have so much available to us. And we rely on so many worldly things that are available to us rather than just going, first, Lord, what do you, how are you going to take care of this? You know, one of the rules that we have as, as, as leadership in this church, and also one of the reasons why we don't collect an offering, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I want to clarify that. If you come from a church or go to a church that does that, that's fine. For us, we just have a, a box out there, and if you want to give, you can put in it. But when there's a need that comes up in the church in regards to a ministry or, 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 or things that we have here, you know what we do first? The rule is, is we go to the Lord first with the need in prayer together. And, 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 and God 
more times than not, we'll meet that need before we even make it known to the church as a whole. But there are times where God goes, let the church know this need. And and, and God provides abundantly in, in those ways as well, too. But if we're not first going to the Lord and then we're going to you, then what we're saying is our dependency as a church is on this and what our resources are. And you know what? God's resources is greater than all of our resources put together. And that's who we need to be going to first. But in fulfilling this prophecy, guys, Jesus, Jesus accomplished um, two purposes. Firstly, he openly presented himself to be Israel's king and Messiah. That's, that's the most important thing. In fulfilling this prophecy, the first purpose was presenting himself to be Israel's king and Messiah. Secondly, he openly challenged, and I love this part once again, he openly challenged the religious leaders who rebuked him in verse 39 for allowing, if you'll look there, for allowing his disciples to, to declare. Not only did Jesus present himself to be the king and the Messiah, he allowed his disciples, those who were in the city, gathered together for the Passover feast to declare him to be the king, the one sent by God. Wow. And this final challenge to these, to these leaders, these Pharisees that were against him, it was this final challenge that set in motion the plot that led to Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. Remember, these religious leaders, they had already devised a plan to have Jesus arrested. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it even implies that they put some kind of bounty on Jesus' head. They had this plan to have Jesus arrested, but they decided to wait until after the Passover feast was done because it says they feared the uprising from the people who were for Christ at this time. So many people were following him. However, the plan of God had been predetermined. And I love this because it's, it's, even our, our, our plans cannot thwart God's plans. Our plans cannot undo God's plans. And, and, and the, 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 the Pharisees, they had a plan. But you know whose plan prevailed? God's plan. And, and, and the plan of God had been predetermined to operate on a different time frame than what the Pharisees had said they were going to enact this, this atrocity that, against Christ from their point of view. And this was due to the fact that Jesus, by his death on the cross, was, was to be, we know, from, from the beginning of time, the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Therefore, Jesus had to die at Passover. At Passover, had been predetermined. And the Passover was instituted by God as a feast of remembrance, right, for the Hebrew people, and it served to remind them of how God had saved them from their Egyptian bondage and delivered them from the judgment of the angel of death with the blood of the Lamb, or by the blood of the Lamb. And in doing so, God had instructed his people to take, as you guys know, an unspotted and an unblemished lamb, to kill it as a sacrifice, and then to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the outside of their homes, down the doorpost and across the lentil on the top. And, and the promise attached to this action is that when the angel of death would come, then it would pass over and spare those people who were inside the homes that had been covered by the blood. And these events, now these events that we're reading about, that, that, that coincide with the Passover, that, that had taken place during the Passover, these events that we read about were remembered each year during the Passover as a command by God to sacrifice a lamb 
as a, as a, as a, as a remembrance of what God had done. And it had been designed by God, in addition to that, to point forward to the Messiah, where true deliverance would come from, where true salvation would come from. And just like the Passover lambs were to be inspected and presented three days prior, right, to see if they were without spot or blemish, for the Passover sacrifice, so too Jesus during the Passover, according to God's perfect design, according to God's perfect plan, according to God's perfect timing, he rode in on a donkey, and he presented himself. He presented himself to be the Lamb of God. And as we read on, we'll see that he gave himself up for inspection, and he was found to be without spot or blemish. One of the things that indicates this is we see that after the triumphal entry, the very thing that Jesus does is he goes to the temple, and he presents himself to the leaders, to the priests, where they questioned him. They examined him, and they found him to be without fault, just like the Passover lamb. Now, as I continue, I want to point out that um, today we look back on these important events and we see them as a day of history, okay? Even as prophecy that's come to pass, we see it as a day of history, and both religious and secular historians have concluded and recorded for us that on April 6, 32 AD, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And verses 37 and 38 declares that he allowed for the Hebrew people to publicly proclaim them as their king sent by God. And they did this while the nation of Israel, we know this, they did this while the nation of Israel was occupied by and ruled over by the Roman Empire. So this was an, as this was, could have been seen as and, and, and uh, a, a rebellious act, right, by the Hebrew people against the Roman Empire. And in the other three gospel accounts, these same events are recorded, and they tell us that as the Hebrew people rejoiced and cried out with a loud voice of praise, they did so with a, with a word, Hosanna, which literally means save now we pray. Hosanna, save now we pray. And in doing so, the people were referring back to Psalm 118. And according to Luke, they went on to say about Jesus, not only Hosanna, save now we pray, but they said, blessed is the king. Now, the reference to Psalm 118 is from verses 25 through 26, where it says this, which says, save now I pray, O Lord, Hosanna, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And one of the amazing things for us to understand and realize is we're culturally separated from what was going on here is that this psalm, Psalm 118, was one of six psalms that are connected together in the book of Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118, and they're referred to as a whole as the great Hallel which literally means a song of thanks or a song of praise. And these psalms were and they are very familiar to traditional Jewish people today because they were and are still congregationally sung on holy days throughout the year. The first, first five are sung together, and the last one, Psalm 118, is, is there will be someone up front that will... That will that will, it's a responsive song. They'll read a part and then the congregation will respond and then they'll read a part and then the congregation will, will respond. And this is what the people were referencing and it's sung not only throughout the year, the great halal in, in different times of feast, but more specifically at the end of every Passover meal. 
And God is connecting all these dots together for the people here. And in Psalm 18, 118, it specifically refers to the Messiah. It's a messianic psalm. And not only to the Messiah, but listen, to the mercy of God and to the salvation that the Messiah was to bring. The mercy and salvation that the Messiah was to bring. And so this is who the people were proclaiming Jesus to be. It is a psalm that expresses gratitude by remembering the goodness of God as well as, as a prayer of personal request. And when the, when, the, when the people, when the Hebrew people hear on this day, reference the words in the psalm and cried out to Jesus saying, Hosanna, or save now, we pray, they were hoping and believing that Jesus as their Messiah would deliver them and save them at this time. But because Jesus was not the type of Messiah that the Hebrew people were looking for, we know that they, in the end, would not embrace him. And Jesus wept. He wept. They would not embrace him as Messiah. And exactly four days after this event, they would reject Jesus. Three days of inspection. On the fourth day, Jesus, we know he was arrested and crucified. And together they would cry out, crucify him, crucify him, as Jesus would stand chained before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. So this day, 32 AD, is an important day of history because of these events that transpired. And it's also a great day of prophecy. And if we had more time this morning, we would go through that. So we'll continue on with that next week. If the worship team wants to come up, I will encourage you to read ahead to Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 9, there's a 600-year-old prophecy that is or it's actually 2,600 years old now, but 600 years prior to the events leading up to this day that we read about now, uh, a prophecy referred to as the 70 weeks of Daniel in where God uh, predicted this day, the exact day, and gave a countdown for it, the day that the Messiah would be revealed to the nation of Israel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, thank you for these reminders that you are our God who's in control of all things. Lord, you know the beginning of the thing from its end and the end of the thing from its beginning. And that's true so also, Lord, for our lives. And I pray, God, that um, when we feel like things are out of control, either in our lives or in the world around us, as we see um, so many things on the news or read about them or hear them on the radio, not only going on in our country, but on the world around us, or, Lord, even more personally, and maybe in our marriages, or things with our kids, Lord, that we know and see that we grieve over, um, things with our finances, things in our, in our workplace. Lord, help us to know that you're in control, that we can trust in you. Lord, that you're working them together for good, and that you have what we need, and you will provide. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You stand, we will worship the Lord with this last song.